So great to be together. Isn't it wonderful? Welcome, River West. I'm glad to see you. Okay, I gotta be honest. I'm standing before you today with a lot of gratitude. My heart is full of gratitude today. I'm thankful like never before for air conditioning. I don't know why. Just so thankful, air conditioning, okay? I'm thankful for my DVR, which recorded the World Cup because I was here at four. So do not tell me who won the World Cup, all right? I'm going home later. I'm gonna watch the game. If you know who won, don't even sneak in like a French amen or a Croatian amen or something. Just leave it. Keep it to yourselves, all right? Okay, but here's the thing I'm most thankful for. I'm thankful to be a part of a family that loves Jesus. I'm just so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful to worship with all of you. So thankful to sing those songs and praise God. I'm thankful for the privilege we get to go to his word and to hear him speak to us. And he wants to speak to us today. Do you believe it? He wants to speak to you. You are not here by accident. God has a word for your heart. So will you pull out your Bible right now, please, and open to the book of Psalms. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Ushers are coming. We want you to have the written word there in front of you. We started a new series last Sunday in our church in the book of Psalms. We're going to do 10 Psalms, and our focus is prayer in this series. I'm really excited about it because we want to learn how to pray more effectively with more passion. So we're studying the Psalms together as a church And today we'll be in Psalm 29. You can turn there now. When I was a young believer, just getting started in my Christian faith, I received my first piece of advice about prayer. And I remember it to this day because the piece of advice was, well, it wasn't all that great. Okay? It was good, but not great. Here's what happened. I was just getting started as a Christian. Prayer was really intimidating for me. Maybe you relate to that. There'd be moments where I would begin to pray and I felt awkward and I wasn't sure what to say or how to talk or how to address God. It, it felt like learning a foreign language. And then I would come to church. I, went to, I grew up in a church a lot like River West with amazing saints in the Lord, people who've been following Jesus, and I would sit in a service and I would hear someone pray and their prayers were so lofty. I remember thinking, that sounds like a Bible verse. Man, that person can pray. And I remember feeling intimidated by prayer. You ever feel that? Raise your hand if you've ever just felt intimidated by prayer. Everyone's hand should go up at some point, right? We feel intimidated. And I I remember going to a mentor. He was a leader in our youth ministry and I was talking about this and he was a really neat guy and he had a great heart. Here's what he said to me, okay? Think about this. There's some truth to this statement, but it's not perfect. He said, Adam, it doesn't matter what you say when you pray. It doesn't matter how you say it. The key is to just start talking to God. Okay? Think about that. Now, there's some truth to that statement. God doesn't want you to freeze up. He doesn't want you to panic. He doesn't want you to worry if every word is perfect, carefully chosen. He doesn't want your prayers to sound like Bible verses, right? There's grace. He does want you to come and pray and speak your heart and share things, even if it's not perfect. But that counsel is not perfect. There's a problem to that counsel because the reality is it does matter what we say in prayer sometimes. And it does matter how we say it. 
Imagine if you took that advice and you applied it tomorrow in your life. What if I said to you, you got this really intense meeting with your boss. Now, when you go in there, just, it doesn't matter what you say, doesn't matter how you say it, just speak your mind. Whatever comes to your heart, just let it out, right? How would that go? Not that great. Or you're about to enter into a conversation with your spouse where there's some forgiveness that's needed and you've blown it and you've got to process some stuff. And I said, you just speak your mind. Doesn't matter what you say, how you say it, whatever you feel, just say it. How does that go in marriage? Not that great. Not that great. In our relationship with the Lord, there's grace and God wants you to, God wants you to learn how to pray. But also, God's given us his word. He's revealed things to us. And he asks us to go on a journey of learning how to pray more effectively, more powerfully. Prayer is not just me expressing whatever's on my mind. Prayer is me hearing the word of God spoken into my life and answering back to him in response to his word in my life. That's what prayer is. And that's what we're gonna learn about this morning. We turn with me? Psalm 29 we're on a journey, River West, to learn how to pray. We're on a journey to learn how to pray. I don't know about you, but I want to I wanna know how to pray better. And I'm so thankful because God's given us the Psalms to help us, to guide us. And we're going to read together this morning Psalm 29. It's a Psalm of David. You see there in the title. Here's what David wrote. Let it wash over you as I read it today. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare, and in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful psalm. So poetic. Psalm 29 is a praise poem. It's a hymn of worship. Where David, using poetic, beautiful language, cries out to God and worships him for his power. The power of his voice. And to do this, David uses the imagery of a thunderstorm. You noticed That's the imagery. If you look in your Bible, starting in verse 3 all the way through verse 9, the imagery is a thunderstorm that begins out over the Mediterranean and it makes landfall in through the mountains of Lebanon and into the desert of Kadesh. We'll talk about that location later. 
But I imagine David sitting in a cave or maybe in his house and there was a thunderstorm, one of these epic Mediterranean thunderstorms that come in in the fall. And the thunder was so loud that it caused David to imagine what it would be like to hear God's voice speak. And he likens it to thunder in verse three. And then he worships God and he gives us this amazing poem. A psalm is a poem. It's a divinely inspired poem addressed to God where a human author has an experience of the Lord's presence and then the Holy Spirit inspires that human author to write poetry back to God. So it's the word of God to us that we can take, make our own, and pray back to God with meaning. That's what the Psalms are. Amazing, beautiful. And in this poem, David imagines what it would be like to hear the thunderous voice of God. I remember when the very first time my girls were old enough to be afraid of thunder, a thunderstorm. Remember this, parents? We were right here in Portland. It was one of these epic, loud thunderstorms. And I woke up because both of the girls were in my bed. You know how this goes. They're in the bed and they're getting as close to me as possible. And then, boom! I mean, it was like the, the walls of the house were rattling. So I've got the girls next to me. And then I look over and the golden retriever's there too. And she's freaked out. I'm like, you are the worst guard dog on the planet. Such a scaredy cat. But anyway, so we're in there and we did the game where we counted the distance between the lightning and the thunder. And that's how you know how far away is this storm. So the lightning would flash and then one, two, three, boom. And then it gets closer and the girls are, every time it gets closer, that storm's coming and pretty soon the lightning and the thunder hit and you know it's just right over your house and we're all gonna die. Anyway, that's another story. But, but you could just feel that thunder and here's David and he's feeling the thunder and he gets poetic and he praises God and he worships God and then it's recorded for God's people. And you know why? Because God wants you to learn how to pray with more power, with more precision. God wants you to know how to respond back to him and to say things to him about who he is that are real and true, that will bring greater meaning, greater, greater privilege and greater intentionality to your prayer. Now, maybe you read Psalm 29 and you thought, well, I'm not even sure how I would use this Psalm in my prayer life. Can I show you today? This psalm is the perfect tutor for your prayer life. It's like the perfect guide. There are three things that you should do every time you come into God's presence and begin to pray. Three things. I want, I'm going to put them on the screen. You might want to write these down or pull out your device. Just don't check the World Cup score while you're there. But anyway, pull out your device and take a picture. Three things you should do every time you pray. They're right here in Psalm 29. Think of them like three steps. Here's step number one. Get clear on the true identity of God so that you can take the appropriate posture in his presence. That's where you got to begin. You always begin there. I mean, think of it. You, you, you enter into a time of prayer. You go into your room. You shut the door. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to get clear in your mind, in your heart. Who is it 
that has invited me into his presence. Who is this God? The psalmists want to give you a vision of God that's clear so that you know who it is you're addressing. Now, in our culture, I've noticed, and it's even true in the church, that because of postmodernism and we, we like to take a posture of humility and uncertainty about things. Have you noticed this? Even in the church. It's almost like we like to celebrate uncertainty. And, and you'll, I'll even hear people, even Christian leaders say, you know, it's more humble to admit that I don't, I, I don't know for certain things about God. And that sounds humble and it sounds like a better way to go. But the problem with that is that when you open the scriptures, the scriptures are crystal clear about who God is, what his identity is especially the Psalms. And the reason is that the psalmists want you to know who is this God that I'm praying to. I want to get clear in my head and in my heart so that I can posture myself before him in the right way. And now you know what the words ascribe and worship mean. We look at it, verses one and two. It's a call to worship. It's a call to worship, Psalm 29 verses 1 and 2. The psalmist is preparing you to be in God's presence. And when you read it, the the first two verses build towards a climax. So notice the flow. David says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And where does it lead you? Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Ascribe and worship. We don't always use the word ascribe that much anymore, and it's too bad because it's an amazing word. The word ascribe means when you're describing physical things, it just means to set something out in front of you or to set it in front of somebody else. And when you're ascribing things to the Lord in prayer, what it means is you're taking the attributes of God and you're acknowledging that they're true and you're setting them before him in a posture of worship and saying, God, this is true of you. So the psalmist would say, ascribe to the Lord glory. Ascribe to the Lord strength, right? And as you ascribe things to God, it leads you to this second word, which is the word worship. And that word simply means, it's a a physical word. It means to fall on your knees and to lie prostrate before God. The word describes a posture of your body where you Fall on your face in humble submission to who God is. Ascribing is something you do with your head and your heart and your mouth. Worship is something you do with your body and your will. And then you take the two and you put them together. And suddenly, you know what you've got? You've got a person who is clear about the identity of God and they've postured themselves before God appropriately. Isn't that wonderful? And the psalm teaches you how to do it. So did you notice what we're ascribing to the Lord? The first thing we're saying is his name. Look in your Bible at the, re- at the repetition of the word capital, all capital, L-O-R-D, L-O-R-D. That word in Hebrew is not a generic word for Lord or God. That's actually the personal name of God that he revealed to his people. 
Unfortunately, the, the people of Israel stopped using the name because they didn't want to use it in vain. And so we're not even sure anymore how it's translated. So in your English Bible, it comes through capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. But it's his personal name. Some people think it's the name Yahweh, which is probably right. But the point of it is when you're praying, you're praying to a God who shared with his people his name. This is not a God who doesn't want to be known. This is not a God who doesn't want people to be certain about who he is. This is a God who said, let me reveal to you my character. I'm even going to share with you my personal name. And you can say that name. And then we say, the very next thing we ascribe to the Lord is this word glory. That word means something that's thick or heavy. It has value. In the book of Exodus, when the cloud came in over Mount Sinai with thunder and lightning, Moses, when he looked at it, he, he saw that it was full of rain, okay? Oregonians, we get that, right? That cloud that's full of rain, you just know it's about to dump. And the word that Moses used to describe this thick, heavy cloud was the word glory. So you say to God, God, you are, you are full, you are heavy, there's depth, there's value to you. You're more precious and valuable and worthwhile than anything else in, in my world. And you say, God, I ascribe to you glory. And I ascribe to you strength. That word strength in verse two, or in verse one, part B, is a military word. It's used to describe kings who win the victory, who defeat their enemies. And so one of the things that you can do in your prayer life is ascribe that to God. Now, you might be thinking, I don't usually, I don't usually say those things to God. You know, I don't really talk to God about his, his strength and his victory over his enemies or talk about glory. And that's the whole point of the series, River West. Remember we talked last week? Left to ourselves, we tend to always go back and pray the same prayers to God, the prayers we're comfortable with. But the Psalms won't let you do that. The Psalms will pull you. And they'll lead you into other kinds of ideas that you would say to God. Things you're not used to saying, but things that are good to say. I got so many emails this week from people saying, thank you. So I prayed Psalm 8 all week, and I found myself saying things to God I've never said before. The analogy that I use is, imagine you're painting on a canvas and you only have two colors, blue and green. That's all you're painting. And you're comfortable with those colors and you like those colors. But every time you step back from the canvas, it looks very monotone. And then someone begins to hand you new colors. They hand you the color brown or the color deep red or orange. And you start painting and suddenly you begin to put together a portrait in technicolor. The Psalms teach you how to do that in your prayer life. You'll begin saying things to God that you've never said before about his character. And it will, it will bless you. And you know where it'll lead you? It will lead you to worship. Verse two. It'll lead you to a posture of submission. Can I suggest something to you? You will know that you have gotten a clear vision of who God is if you find that you want to fall on your knees and surrender to him. If you want to do that, you'll know 
I'm seeing God clearly. That is the posture before God. It's a posture of surrender. It's a posture that says, God, you're so amazing. I acknowledge it. The only appropriate response right now is for me to go to my knees and surrender to you and give my whole life over to you. And you know what? The Lord is inviting some of you today into that place. I, I, I imagine that it's possible there are some today who have never prayed like that. You've never found yourself on your knees in God's presence. And he's inviting you into it today. Maybe tomorrow morning is your day. Go into your room. Don't try this prayer at the office, okay? Go into your room. Shut the door. Pull out Psalm 29 and begin saying to God the traits that are true of him. And then go to your knees and give your whole life over to him. And you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Amen? Don't say it in French or Croatian. Okay. That's step one. But here's step two. The first thing you need to do every time you pray, get clear. Who is this God that's inviting me to pray to him? That's step one. It's critical. Here's step two. It's just as critical. Get rid of any counterfeit any counterfeit savior that's competing for your hope and devotion. Critical. You start with a vision of God and you fall on your knees. And the very next thing that you do is you begin to consider your life and ask the question, is there anything in my life that I'm putting all of my hope in other than God? Is there anything? I'm, I, 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 I believe in God. I'm worshiping God. But is there anything that's competing right now for my devotion or for my hope? Now you say, I don't see where you get that from Psalm 29, Pastor. Well, let me show you. Go back and look at this storm that David describes. When the people of Israel heard Psalm 29 for the first time, they immediately recognized that David had lifted a song from the worship of the people around Israel, the Canaanites. David had borrowed from their worship song. He'd taken almost like a framework of their song. He lifted it, and then he switched out all of the names of their foreign gods, and he replaced them with the name Yahweh. So when you look at the storm and you look at the, the, the geographical location of this storm, this storm comes off the Mediterranean in verses 3 and 4, and it makes landfall in Lebanon, which is the nation north of Israel where the Canaanites lived. It was their neighbors. And it beats against the mountains of Lebanon, and it knocks over the cedars of Lebanon. And then the storm moves into the desert of Kadesh, which is a desert region northeast of Israel. So why would David have the Israelites singing a psalm that doesn't even, about a storm that doesn't even go through Israel? Well, here's what's happening. The people of Canaan worshiped a God whom they called Baal. And Baal was the storm God. They believed that he was the God who would bring the thunderstorm. 
And they were afraid of him, but they also needed him to come every fall and bring rain to relieve them of the drought. And so this bit of the psalm was a part of one of the ways that they would pray for Baal to bring rain. When the people of Israel came into the promised land, they were immediately tempted by the worship of the false religions around them. Even though God warned them not to worship idolatry, the Israelites came into the promised land and they watched their neighbors worshiping Baal, and then they would see thunderstorms come in. And so they began to pray Canaan's prayers of worship. And some of the Israelites began to worship Baal, a false god. And so what David does is brilliant. He takes their song and he substitutes the name for the Lord. And he says, when you pray, when you trust God, reject the gods that are around you, reject the substitutes, reject the counterfeits, and put your hope in the Lord alone. The the word Lord is repeated 18 times in the song. It's amazing. This is beautiful, powerful moment where the people of Israel are worshiping and they're realizing, I've been worshiping Baal. Why would I do that? And they turn their hearts back to God, Yahweh, the living Lord and creator. Now, River West, we don't worship Baal anymore, okay? We don't call on his name. We're too savvy for that. The gods that we worship today are more subtle. They're they're things in our life, things that our culture presents to us, things that would compete for our devotion. Sometimes people with their mouths give give glory to God, but with their lives, they're secretly running after other things functionally to give them peace or hope or security or trust. I remember when I was teaching my girls to swim and we would get into the pool. I remember Lauren, when she was young, she was really afraid of the water. So we were in the pool and she had a hold of the concrete wall of the pool. And I was like three feet away. You remember this, parents. And I said to Lauren, okay, Lauren, got to swim out to me, you know. And I, and I said, Lauren, do you trust me? And she said, yes, I trust you. And I said, okay, let go of the wall. And she said, no, no. <laughs> Lauren, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. Let go of that wall. No, no. Right? We do this. God says, do you trust me? And we say, yes. And then God says, let go of that thing. No, I don't want to let go of that. So if you find in your life that you always have to be in a position of authority, you always have to be the boss, you always have to be the one calling the shots, you always have to be in control, it might be that you're actually worshiping the God of power. Or if you find in your life that you're always questing after people's love and devotion and compliments, it's possible that the God that you're worshiping is the God of approval. Or if you find that you're totally consumed with how you look and what your physical body looks like and how you dress, it's possible that you're worshiping the God God of image. If there are issues, political issues, social issues that you've elevated above God's agenda, it's possible that you're worshiping the God of some ideology. 
And it could be anything. It could be achievement. It could be material possessions. It could be comfort. It could be safety. It could be a relationship. You find that a, a relationship with, a, with a, a child or a parent or a spouse or a friend becomes so important to you that it's actually the thing functionally that you're building your life around. And God, because he loves us, will come periodically and he'll use a psalm like Psalm 29. And he'll say, I love you and I need to ask you, do you trust me? Okay, will you let go of that? You need, to, you need to let go of that. He very rarely says, kick it out of your life completely. He just says, let go of functionally putting your hope and your devotion in that thing. It will never save you. It will never save you. This week, when I read Psalm 29, verses 3 through 9, and I kept hearing the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, and I was preparing to preach, God showed me that I had a, a counterfeit savior that I periodically cling to in my own life. And for me, that counterfeit is feeling prepared. I always want to be prepared. I never want to show up on a Sunday and not be prepared. Some of you are like, you should actually try to be more prepared. dude. But anyway, that's another day. Okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm confessing to you that if there's a place where God's regularly saying this to me. He's saying, it's good that you work hard. It's good that you get ready for Sunday. But that could become, you could cross a line where you're no longer trusting me and you're trusting your own preparation or the time that you put in or how you think the notes have come together and you've stopped trusting me and my voice, which is the power when a psalm is read or a scripture is preached. It is my voice that goes out in power not yours. Thank you. It's not yours. Amen. And God spoke that to me. God spoke that to me. Now, how about you? How about you? Tomorrow morning, you wake up, you pray Psalm 29, and then you humbly sit before God and say, Lord, is there any, anything you're asking me to get rid of in my life? I want to do it, Lord. Let me share one more thing about Psalm 29. Will you go to the very end of the psalm? I want to um, show you that the psalm ends with a request, a prayer request. It's actually the only time in this psalm where David asks God for anything. And what I want you to see in verse 11 is that what David asks for can only be prayed by a person who understands who Jesus is. We talked about this last week. All the Psalms are pointing us to Christ. They're pointing us to Jesus. All the Psalms find their fulfillment in Christ. The things you're going to pray for as you pray the Psalms, you'll realize God has already answered this in Christ. That's why Tim Keller, last week I told you, he called his devotional the Songs of Jesus because the Psalms are about Jesus. By the way, if you didn't get one of these, we're selling more out there today, all right? Pick up this wonderful little resource. You want to learn how to pray through the Psalms. This is Kathy and Timothy Keller. They wrote a devotional. It's all through the Psalms. It's wonderful and rich. And one of the things Keller says is, the only way to understand the Psalms is to understand how the story ends with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what David prays for in verses 10 and 11. Will you look at it with me? He says, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Look at this. 
May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Strength and peace. Strength. David already ascribed that to the Lord at the beginning. And now he prays. He says, Lord, will you give that peace to your people now? That strength to your people. And then he says, and give us peace. And here's what you know as a Christian. God's already answered that prayer when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into our world. God brought the strength of his victory into the world in the most unexpected way. A humble savior who would offer himself up for human sin. The most powerful display of strength in the history of our world happened at the moment that Jesus laid down his life and allowed himself to be crucified. Rising again on the third day in victory and God brought strength to his people. Amen. And then he brought peace. How does the world know peace? The only way the world knows peace, shalom, is through the ministry of Jesus Christ, reconciling us to God and to one another through his blood that was shed on a cross. And you begin to pray, verse 11, and you say, God's answered this prayer in the person of Jesus Christ. Okay, so let me give you the third thing you should do every time you pray. This is critical. The first thing you do is you get clear on the identity of God. Then you get rid of the substitutes, the cheap counterfeits. And finally, you spend a bulk of your time doing this. Get focused on God's mission through Christ in our world. Focus on that. Pray about other things. Pray about what's happening in your life. Pray about your relationships. Yes, but in your prayer life, how much time do you spend focused and asking God to accomplish his mission in our world through Jesus Christ? In your life, in your neighborhood, at work, in the relationships that matter most to you, praying, God, what needs to happen most is for you to accomplish your mission. Jesus said, your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus modeling the same prayer. And so you pray. You come into God's presence. You get a clear vision of who he is. You humble yourself before him. You get rid of the counterfeits. And then you begin to pray in Jesus' name that God would accomplish his purpose in our world. And you know what will happen, River West? Your prayer life is going to become electric you're going to experience power in your prayer life. It will be a blessing to you. This week when I was reading Psalm 29, I remembered the moment in the Gospel of Mark when the disciples got in the boat and they went out onto the sea with Jesus and the storm came in. You remember this moment? The storm comes in. It was probably a lot like the storm of Psalm 29. Thunder and lightning and waves are crashing in the boat and the disciples are panicking and Jesus is taking a power nap in the front of the boat and the disciples come and they wake him up and they say, how can you possibly sleep through this? And you know what happens. What happens? Jesus steps to the front of the boat and he, and he talks to the storm. And he says, you know what he said, Mark? I'll put it on the screen. Mark 4, verse 39. He said, shalom, be still. 
The same God who speaks in the storm with power is now the very God who stands at the front of the storm and tells it to be still. Jesus is the the powerful voice of God in our world. And in your life and in the lives of the people you love and are praying for, what they need more than anything is for this moment to happen in their life, for Christ to step to the front and speak with authority over the storm or whatever the situation is and to say, peace, I need it, you need it, and everyone you're praying for needs it. Let's begin to pray for that. And let's pray for that as we get ready to go to the table this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? And we'll pray together. Lord, we want to thank you for giving us this treasure in your word, this book of 150 divinely inspired poems because you love us and you want us to pray with greater intentionality, clarity. We want to grow and learn. Equip us, Lord. Draw us towards you, we pray. Even now in this moment, we want to take time to work through the steps of Psalm 29 begins in this moment right now in our hearts, getting a clear vision of who you are, Lord. You've revealed yourself to us in your word. May we have the wisdom to see you for who you are and ascribe to you the truths about you, Lord. Would you right now in your heart Just begin to say to God truths about his character, strength, glory, majesty, power. And begin to take a posture in your heart, a posture of humility and submission before God. And Lord, would you make us aware of anything, anything that we're being tempted to run after? any counterfeit, any any false savior, help us to see it, Lord, that we could let go, turn back to you today. And we pray, of course, Lord, that in the name of Jesus, you would accomplish your purposes in our world. Through Christ, may, may the word of Jesus sound forth in our community, in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in, in the places where we work, to the way we live, we pray that Jesus and his word would sound forth and human hearts would be changed for the gospel. And we thank you for these things, Lord. And we pray them together in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.